everybody. Welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and this time I'll be talking about optimism, pessimism, and realism, the striking examples of disparity between belief and reality in the age of COVID. Our building is next to a new gay bar. And on several occasions, I have recently gone out after 10 p.m. And I observed, outside the bar, groups of younger people, 25 to 30 or so, congregating to smoke, chat, hang out in cars with the doors open, the music playing, etc. And none were wearing masks. And on a subsequent occasion, I walked past a bar to see a group with a particularly vocal young gay man claiming that he was the least likely to be infected because he had been tested and just flew in on a plane with only 30 other passengers. Although, as I passed by, I felt the need to restrain myself from saying that I had received the Johnson & Johnson almost four weeks prior with no blood clotting, and Hubby had his second vaccination when there was still snow on the ground. While he may have taken a test and results proved negative, that experience in and of itself is mutually exclusive of the probability of breathing contaminated air and becoming infected in the plane, airport, or inside a gay bar with other young gay men none of whom were wearing masks or socially distancing, quite oblivious to the howling error in logic, inferring a nexus between testing negative for the virus and likelihood of infection while being inside a closed space with other young gay men also not wearing masks or socially distancing. This is not an isolated example. Aside from snake oil, and mis- or disinformation, as I pointed out in 2ZQ Hot Takes, Gays, Heat, Snake Oil, and Hankies, I touched on the subject. Not that recently. Although recently, I endured a younger man screaming at me because I had the temerity to step back from him as he approached on the sidewalk so that I could give an elderly woman some space because he was not only not wearing a mask, but coming perilously close to both of us. He irrationally screamed at me and leaned in to breathe heavily on me as I stood there in disbelief. A few days later, a young woman on the street without a mask came very close to me with a smirk on her face as I stepped out of the way of others to give them breathing room and display some common-sense compassion as I was trying to be conscientious and avoid contact with others because I know many people who are immunocompromised due to life-threatening illnesses. It seems to me that it is a rather cruel, heartless display to refuse to wear a mask in the presence of those who may very well be less than in perfect health, require simple protective measures, and a bit of reassurance in troubled times. On April 11th, from Victoria Brownsworth, award-winning investigative journalist, 82,000 new cases of COVID-19 in just 24 hours the largest increase in over two months. 
Cases among young people and the unvaccinated are the overwhelming majority. People not masking, not socially distancing, and traveling are causing the uptick in cases. From Axios AM on April 12th. All the things that could prolong the COVID pandemic are playing out right in front of our eyes, Axios Health Editor Sam Baker writes. All the things. The big picture. Right now, the U.S. is still making fantastic progress on vaccinations, but as variants of the virus cause new outbreaks and infect more children, the U.S. is also getting a preview of what the culture could hold if our vaccination push loses steam, as experts fear it soon might. Driving the news, the British variant is driving another surge in cases in Michigan, and Governor Gretchen Whitmer has resisted reimposing any of the lockdown measures she embraced earlier in the pandemic. Variants are beginning to infect more kids, even as schools are on the fast track to reopening, making the pandemic a brand new ball game, as University of Minnesota epidemiologist Michael Osterholm recently put it. New research confirms that our existing vaccines don't work well against the South African variant. This is a preview of the longer, darker coronavirus future the U.S. may face without sufficient vaccinations, one that many experts see as pretty likely. Although the pace of vaccinations is still strong, there's a growing fear it's about to slow down. In some parts of the country, particularly the South, demand for shots has already slowed down enough to create a surplus of available doses. The more widely a virus can spread, the more opportunities it has to mutate. If the U.S. and ultimately the world don't vaccinate a sufficient percentage of the population, we'll be setting ourselves up to let the virus keep spreading and keep mutating, continuing to give us new variants that will continue to pose new threats. The concern isn't necessarily that the facts on the ground today could end up being disastrous. The vaccines work against the British variant. The South African variant is not, at this point, a dominant strain within the U.S., and we will eventually be able to vaccinate at least some children, helping the U.S. progress toward herd immunity. But if we don't control the virus well enough, then even years into the future, we could be living through more new variants, some of which might be more deadly, some of which might be more resistant to vaccines, some of which might be more dangerous for certain specific populations. That would translate into an ongoing risk of illness or potentially death for unvaccinated people and new races to reformulate vaccines as new variants keep emerging. And it would lead to a world in which today's vaccine-eager population would have to stay on top of those emerging risks, getting booster shots when they're available, and perhaps revive some of the pandemic's social distancing measures in order to stay safe. The bottom line, the darker future is preventable, and our abundant supply of highly effective vaccines is the way to prevent it. The more people get vaccinated now, the smaller the role COVID-19 is likely to play in the rest of our lives. On CNN, Monday, 4 number one of their five things. Cruise lines are already betting on a big rebound, even though the CDC has yet to give the go-ahead for ships to sail to and from U.S. ports. 
the United States is still seeing an increase in coronavirus cases and hospitalizations, especially among younger people who haven't gotten a vaccine. However, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky did point out death rates are going down. That's cold comfort considering more than 562,000 people in the U.S. have now died of the virus. China is in a tight spot after the country's top health officials admitted efficacy rates for Chinese COVID-19 vaccines are not high. He suggested either increasing doses or mixing with other vaccines to improve performance. India just crossed the threshold of 100 million vaccinations, but the country is still contending with record case numbers. Canadians in Montreal are protesting a new curfew put into effect to curb COVID-19 numbers, while in the UK, officials are lauding the slow rollback of restrictions as vaccinations increase. The Wall Street Journal on 413. Recent rise in COVID-19 cases driven by younger people public health authorities point to school sports as a major source of transmission. Younger people who haven't been vaccinated are helping drive a rise in new COVID-19 cases, health officials are finding. Five states, Michigan, New York, Florida, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey, account for some 42% of newly reported cases. In Michigan, adults aged 20 to 39 have the highest daily case rates, new data shows. Case rates for children aged 19 and under are at a record, more than quadruple from a month ago. There were 301 reported school outbreaks as of early last week, up from 248 the week prior, according to the state data. Epidemiologists and public health authorities have pointed to high school sports as a major source of COVID-19 transmission, driving the overall uptick among younger people in Michigan and more broadly, is a confluence of fatigue from the pandemic, which is leading some people to engage in more close contact and the spread of the more transmissible UK variant known as B.1.1.7. What could be the reason for this? I am prone to think it is based on what is known as the optimism bias. I have posted pods before about cognitive biases, particularly 2ZQHT27, cognitive and unconscious biases, and these are further examples of distorted thinking most of us use and employ in order to make our way through life. Optimism bias, or the optimistic bias, is a cognitive bias that causes someone to believe that they themselves are less likely to experience a negative event. It is also known as unrealistic optimism or comparative optimism. Optimism bias is common and transcends gender, ethnicity, nationality, and age. Optimistic biases are even reported in non-human animals such as rats and birds. Four factors can cause a person to be optimistically biased. Their desired end state, their cognitive mechanisms, the information they have about themselves versus others, and overall mood. The optimistic bias is seen in a number of situations. For example, people believing that they are at less risk of being a crime victim, smokers believing that they are less likely to contract lung cancer or disease than other smokers, first-time bungee jumpers believing that they are less at risk of an injury than other jumpers, or traders who think they are less exposed to potential losses in the markets. 
Although the optimism bias occurs for both positive events, such as believing oneself to be more financially successful than others, and negative events, such as being less likely to have a drinking problem, there is more research and evidence suggesting that the bias is stronger for negative events, the valence effect. Different consequences result from these two types of events. Positive events often lead to feelings of well-being and self-esteem, while negative events lead to consequences involving more risk, such as engaging in risky behaviors and not taking precautionary measures for safety. To measure these things, optimism bias is typically measured through two determinants of risk. Absolute risk, where individuals are asked to determine their likelihood of experience a negative event compared to their actual chance of experience a negative event, comparison against self, or comparative risk, where individuals are asked to estimate the likelihood of experiencing a negative event, their personal risk estimate, compared to others of the same age and sex, a target risk estimate. Problems can occur when trying to measure absolute risk because it is extremely difficult to determine the actual risk statistic for a person. Therefore, the optimistic bias is primarily measured in comparative risk forms where people compare themselves against others through direct and indirect comparisons. Direct comparisons ask whether an individual's own risk of experiencing an event is less than, greater than, or equal to someone else's risk, while indirect comparisons ask individuals to provide separate estimates of their own risk of experiencing an event and others' risks of experiencing the same event. After obtaining scores, researchers are able to use the information to determine if there is a difference in the average risk estimate of the individual compared to the average risk estimate of peers. And this all comes from Wikipedia. Generally, in negative events, the main risk of an individual appears lower than the risk estimate of others. This is then used to demonstrate the bias effect. The optimistic bias can only be defined at a group level because at an individual level, the positive assessment could be true. Likewise, difficulties can arise in measurement procedures, as it is difficult to determine when someone is being optimistic, realistic, or pessimistic. Research suggests that the bias comes from an overestimate of group risks rather than underestimating one's own risk. An example, participants assigned a higher probability of picking a card that had a smiling face on his reverse side than one which had a frowning face. Well, cognitive mechanisms include the optimistic bias, which is also possibly influenced by three cognitive mechanisms that guide judgments and decision-making processes. The representativeness heuristic, singular target focus, and interpersonal distance. The estimates of likelihood associated with the optimistic bias are based on how closely an event matches a person's overall idea of the specific event. Some researchers suggest that the representativeness heuristic is a reason for the optimistic bias. Individuals tend to think in stereotypical categories rather than about their actual targets when making comparisons. For example, when drivers are asked to think about a car accident, they are more likely to associate a bad driver rather than just the average driver. Individuals compare themselves with the negative elements that come to mind rather than an overall accurate comparison between them and another driver. Additionally, when individuals were asked to compare themselves towards friends, 
They chose more vulnerable friends based on the events they were looking at. Individuals generally chose a specific friend based on whether they resemble a given example rather than just an average friend. People find examples that relate directly to what they are asked, resulting in representativeness heuristics. Now, for the singular target focus, one of the difficulties of the optimistic bias is that people know more about themselves than they do about others. While individuals know how to think about themselves as a single person, they still think of others as a generalized group, which leads to biased estimates and inabilities to sufficiently understand their target or comparison group. Likewise, when making judgments and comparisons about their risk compared to others, people generally ignore the average person, but primarily focus on their own feelings and experiences. As for interpersonal distance, perceived risk differences occur depending on how far or close a compared target is to an individual making a risk estimate. The greater the perceived distance between the self and the comparison target, the greater the perceived difference in risk. When one brings the comparison target closer to the individual, how about that, risk estimates appear closer than if the comparison target was someone more distant to the participant. There is support for perceived social distance in determining the optimistic bias. Through looking at comparisons of personal and target risk between the in-group level contributes to more perceived similarities than when individuals think about outer-group comparisons, which lead to greater perceived differences. In one study, researchers manipulated the social context of the comparison group where participants made judgments for two different comparison targets, the typical student at their university and the typical student at another university. Their findings showed that not only did people work with the closer comparisons first, but also had closer ratings to themselves than the more different group. Studies have also noticed that people demonstrate more optimistic bias when making comparisons when the other is a vague individual, but biases are reduced when the other person is a familiar person, such as a friend or family member. This also is determined due to the information they have about the individuals closest to them, but not having the same information about other people. As for desired end states of comparative judgment, many explanations for the optimistic bias come from the goals that people want and outcomes they wish to see. People tend to view their risks as less than others because they believe this is what other people want to see. These explanations include self-enhancement, self-presentation, and perceived control. In terms of self-enhancement, self-enhancement suggests that optimistic predictions are satisfying and that it feels good to think that positive events will happen. People can control their anxiety and other negative emotions if they believe they are better off than others. People tend to focus on finding information that supports what they want to see happen rather than what will happen to them. With regards to the optimistic bias, individuals will perceive events more favorably because that is what they would like the outcome to be. This also suggests that people might lower their risks compared to others to make themselves look better than average. They are at less risk than others and therefore better. Hmm. As far as self-presentation, studies suggest that people attempt to establish and maintain a desired personal image in social situations. I think we all do. 
people are motivated to present themselves towards others in a good light. And some researchers suggest that the optimistic bias is a representative of self-presentational processes. People want to appear better off than others. However, this is not through conscious effort. In a study where participants believed their driving skills would be either tested in either real life or driving simulations, people who believed they were to be tested had less optimistic bias and were more modest about their skills than individuals who would not be tested. Studies also suggest that individuals who present themselves in a pessimistic and more negative light are generally less accepted by the rest of society. This might contribute to overly optimistic attitudes. As for personal control or perceived control, people tend to be more optimistically biased when they believe they have more control over events than others. For example, people are more likely to think that they will not be harmed in a car accident if they are driving the vehicle. Another example is that if someone believes that they have a lot of control over becoming infected with HIV, they are more likely to view their risk of contracting the disease to be low. Studies have suggested that the greater perceived control someone has, the greater their optimistic bias. Stemming from this, control is a stronger factor when it comes to personal risk assessments, but not when assessing others. And there's your LGBT connection right there for optimistic bias for a lot of things. A meta-analysis reviewing the relationship between the optimistic bias and perceived control found that a number of moderators contribute to this relationship. In previous research, participants from the United States generally had higher levels of optimistic bias relating to perceived control than those of other nationalities. Students also showed larger levels of the optimistic bias than non-students. The format of the study also demonstrated differences in the relationship between perceived control and the optimistic bias. Direct methods of measurement suggested greater perceived control and greater optimistic bias as compared to indirect measures of the bias. The optimistic bias is strongest in situations where an individual needs to rely heavily on direct action and responsibility of situations. An opposite factor of perceived control is that of prior experience. Prior experience is typically associated with less optimistic bias, which some studies suggest is either from a decrease in the perception of personal control or make it easier for individuals to imagine themselves at risk. Prior experience suggests that events may be less controllable than previously believed. And as for information about self versus target, individuals know a lot more about themselves than they do about others. Because information about others is less available, information about the self versus others leads people to make specific conclusions about their own risk, but results in them having a harder time making conclusions about the risks of others. This leads to differences in judgments and conclusions about self-risks compared to risks of others, leading to larger gaps in the optimistic bias. Personal positivity bias is the tendency to evaluate an object more favorably the more the object resembles an individual human being. Generally, the more a comparison target resembles a specific person, the more familiar it will be. However, groups of people are considered to be more abstract concepts, which leads to less favorable judgments. With regards to the optimistic bias, 
When people compare themselves to an average person, whether someone of the same sex or age, the target continues to be viewed as less human and less personified, which will result in less favorable comparisons between the self and others. Now, for egocentric thinking. Egocentric thinking refers to how individuals know more of their own personal information and risk than they can use to form judgments and make decisions. One difficulty, though, is that people have a large amount of knowledge about themselves, but no knowledge about others. Therefore, when making decisions, people have to use other information available to them, such as population data, in order to learn more about the comparison group. This can relate to an optimism bias because while people are using available information they have about themselves, they have more difficulty understanding correct information about others. It is also possible that someone can escape egocentric thinking. In one study, researchers had one group of participants list all factors that influence their chances of experiencing a variety of events, and then a second group read the list. Those who read the list showed less optimistic bias in their own reports. It's possible that greater knowledge about others and their perceptions of their chances of risk bring the comparison group closer to the participant, as for underestimating average person's control. Also regarding egocentric thinking, it is possible that individuals underestimate the amount of control the average person has. This is explained in two different ways. People underestimate the control that others have in their lives. People completely overlook that others have control over their own outcomes. For example, many smokers believe that they are taking all necessary precautionary measures so they won't get lung cancer, such as smoking only once a day or using filtered cigarettes, and believe that others are not taking the same precautionary measures. However, it is likely that many other smokers are doing the same things and taking the same precautions. As for underlying effects, the last factor of optimistic bias is that of an underlying effect and effect experience. Research has found that people show less optimistic bias when experiencing a negative mood and more optimistic bias when in a positive mood. Sad moods reflect greater memories of negative events which lead to more negative judgments, while positive moods promote happy memories and more positive feelings. This suggests that overall negative moods, including depression, result in increased personal risk estimates but less optimistic bias overall. Anxiety also leads to less optimistic bias, continuing to suggest that overall positive experiences and positive attitudes lead to more optimistic bias in events. Now, for health consequences, in health, the optimistic bias tends to prevent individuals from taking on preventative measures for good health. For example, people who underestimate their comparative risk of heart disease know less about heart disease, and even after reading an article with more information, are still less concerned about the risk of heart disease. Because the optimistic bias can be a strong force in decision-making, it is important to look at how risk perception is determined and how this will result in preventative behaviors. Therefore, researchers need to be aware of the optimistic bias and the ways it can prevent people from taking precautionary measures in real-life choices. Risk perceptions are particularly important for individual behaviors such as exercise, diet, and even sunscreen use. I also did a pod on that, 2ZQHT10, skin cancer, and sunscreen. 
A large portion of risk prevention focuses on adolescence, especially with health risk perception. Adolescence is associated with an increased frequency of risky health-related behaviors such as smoking, drugs, and unsafe sex. While adolescents are aware of the risk, this awareness does not change behavior habits. Adolescents with strong, positive, optimistic bias towards risky behaviors had an overall increase in the optimistic bias with age. However, unconditional risk questions in cross-sectional studies are used consistently, leading to problems as they ask about the likelihood of an action occurring, but does not determine if there is an outcome, or compare events that haven't happened to events that have. Many times there are methodological problems in these tests. Concerning vaccines, perceptions of those who have not been vaccinated are compared to the perceptions of those who have been. Other problems which arise include the failure to show a person's perception of a risk. Knowing this information will be helpful for continued research on optimistic bias and preventative behaviors. As for neurosciences, functional neuroimaging suggests a key role for the rostral anterior cingulate cortex, ACC, in modulating both emotional processing and autobiographical retrieval. It is part of a brain network showing extensive correlation between rostral ACC and amygdala during imagining of future positive events and restricted correlation during imagining of future negative events. Based on these data, it is suggested that the rostral ACC has a crucial part to play in creating positive images of the future and ultimately in ensuring and maintaining an optimism bias. As for policy planning and management, optimism bias influences decisions and forecasts in policy planning and management. That is, the cost and completion times of planned decisions tend to be underestimated and the benefits overestimated due to optimism bias. The term planning fallacy for this effect was first proposed by Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. There is a growing body of evidence proving that optimism bias represents one of the biggest single causes of risk for megaproject overspend. The valence effect. The valence effect is used to allude to the effect of valence on unrealistic optimism. It has been studied by Ron S. Gold and his team since 2003. They frame questions for the same event in different ways. Some participants were given information about the conditions that promote a given health-related event, such as developing heart disease, and were asked to rate the comparative likelihood that they would experience the event. Other participants were given matched information about the conditions that prevent the same event and were asked to rate the comparative likelihood that they would avoid the event. They have generally found that unrealistic optimism was greater for negative than positive valence. Valence effects, which is also considered a form of cognitive bias, have had several real-world implications. For instance, it can lead to the overestimation of a company's future earnings by investors, and this could contribute to a tendency for it to becoming overpriced. In terms of achieving organizational objectives, it can encourage people to produce unrealistic schedules helping drive a so-called planning fallacy, which often result in making poor decisions and project abandonment. Now, for attempts to alter and eliminate. Studies have shown that it is very difficult to eliminate the optimistic bias. 
Some commentators believe that trying to reduce it may encourage people to adapt to health protective behaviors. However, research has suggested that it cannot be reduced and that efforts to reduce it tend to lead to even more optimistically biased results. In a research study of four different tests to reduce the optimistic bias through lists of risk factors, participants perceiving themselves as inferior to others, participants asked to think of high-risk individuals and giving attributes of why they were at risk, all increased the bias rather than decreased. Other studies have tried to reduce the bias through reducing distance, but overall, it still remains. This seemingly paradoxical situation, in which an attempt to reduce bias can sometimes actually increase it, may be related to the insight behind the semi-jocular and recursively worded Hofstadter's Law, which states that it always takes longer than you expect, even when you take into account Hofstadter's Law. Although research has suggested that it is very difficult to eliminate the bias, some factors may help in closing the gap of the optimistic bias between an individual and their target risk group. First, by placing the comparison group closer to the individual, the optimistic bias can be reduced. Studies found that when individuals were asked to make comparisons between themselves and close friends, there was almost no difference in the likelihood of an event occurring. Additionally, actually experiencing an event leads to a decrease in their optimistic bias. While this only applies to events with prior experience, knowing the previously unknown will result in less optimism of it not occurring. The pessimism bias. The opposite of optimism bias is pessimism bias or pessimistic bias because the principles of the optimistic bias continue to be in effect in situations where individuals regard themselves as worse off than others. Optimism may occur from either a distortion of personal estimates representing personal optimism or a distortion of others representing personal pessimism. Pessimism bias is an effect in which people exaggerate the likelihood that negative things will happen to them. It contrasts with optimism bias. People with depression are particularly likely to exhibit pessimism bias. Surveys of smokers have found their ratings of their risk of heart disease showed a small but significant pessimism bias. However, the literature as a whole is inconclusive. And there was also depressive realism hypothesis that depressed individuals can make more realistic inferences than do non-depressed individuals. The illusion of control, illusory superiority, overestimating one's abilities and qualifications, a cognitive bias. The normalcy bias, disbelief or minimization in response to threat warnings. Nothing to hide argument, argument that one doesn't need privacy unless they are doing something wrong. Negativity bias, tendency to give more importance to negative experiences. The positivity effect. Positive illusions, unrealistically favorable attitudes that people have towards themselves or to people that are close to them. Reference class forecasting. The self-serving bias, distortion to enhance self-esteem or to see oneself overly favorably. And wishful thinking bias. Youthful optimism, despite proven likely outcomes, is nothing new. 
People buy lottery tickets and gamble in casinos, online, and with bookies, despite the readily available knowledge that the odds are firmly stacked against them. And people's belief systems also tell them that their practices place them in the grace of supernatural entities, which provide succor, not only in times of distress, but for their personal vision of life eternal after they shuffle off this mortal coil. That's very nice. So what do we make of this? I still like being realistic. I've had to make my way through life in a very practical, pragmatic sense for my entire adulthood, and those patterns are hardwired at this point. I tend to have the bias that justifies doing things the hard way or the authentic way in my perception, and, or if there is ever a technological issue or natural disaster like a hurricane that floods the subways or devastates substantial portions of the infrastructure we all rely on, I will survive through my somewhat limited hands-on capabilities. I just have a hard time dispensing with the tried and true over the new and convenient, although I do come around when I become weary of a grind and see others taking advantage of conveniences that free up time and cause others to become less considerate of their circumstances, context, and situation. That's how this whole thing started. Thanks for listening. See you next time, and as the kitties say, peace out.